Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We did experience some audio issues on this episode due to the fact that we are currently recording remotely. So please bear with us as you may hear some shifts in audio quality. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. We have to remove ourselves from like, oh my gosh, when I find this partner, then I'll be happy. When I have a hundred thousand bucks just sitting in my bank account, then I will be happy. When I'm driving this Mercedes truck, then I will be happy. Oh, you will be happy when you choose to cultivate happiness. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon Podcast. I am your host, Lana Mercedes. And I am your guest, Lise Wilcox. Lise is a transformational mindset and success coach who helps highly potential women courageously become the best version of themselves that they can't stop dreaming about. She's an author, podcast host, cancer survivor, mom of three, and a taco enthusiast. Author of the book, To Call Myself Beloved, a story of hope, healing, and coming home. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you. I do. Especially because you're so full of life and gems, but also because you have this voice that I'm sure the podcast is going to double as ASMR. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations on your book launch. Oh man, I'm so excited. Has it hit you? Is it a reality? Or are you still believing it? Uh, I'm still believing it. The reality hit on Friday when the books that I had ordered in advance for a pre-sale, mm-hmm. they got delivered. And man, it was three days of an emotional roller coaster because it was like, I can't believe this is real. I can't believe this is real. It was like, it was so, it's so many years of effort culminated into one beautiful product that it was an amazing, it's like an amazing moment. I believe seeing some of that and you were going around and deli- hand delivering some mm-hmm. too, right? Awesome. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that experience is like for everyone receiving it. Well, and then, you know, um, I drove like four hours east and my aunts helped I sold hundreds of copies in pre-sale so they helped me like stuff and address all the envelopes and put in all the cards to the books and then I drove seven hours west to take it to the fulfillment center to have them ship so it's been like this to be clear the next book will not have this same level of of personal attention but I think this is the start point so at that time you're gonna be so busy being a bestseller that you won't have a chance to do those things that's That's the plan yeah but I really want to jump right into how this whole book thing started I know that you mentioned that this whole pivotal moment changed in your life when you got divorced and I just want to know more about that how your life perspective changed going through that you bet there was this there was this moment in my life where I was you know I had three little girls we lived in this spectacular seven-bedroom century home in this quiet small town I could see one of the Great Lakes from my yard if I craned my neck just right and we had this beautiful life beautiful renovation and I remember lying on the like living room floor with my kids looking around at this perfection and thinking like oh my god if this isn't enough for me, like what the hell is wrong with me? Cause this doesn't feel like it's enough. And I had this like divine voice talk to me and say, maybe that sounds weird. I don't know if it sounds weird to you, but like this happens. I have this divine voice that kind of drops in every oh, now no, and then, it makes you know, sense, yeah. it's your higher self. It's God. I don't know. It's just this like amazing mm. little wisdom. And that voice said, this isn't enough for you because you are not enough for you. And it was like, that was this moment of waking up and realizing I'd gone through the motions. I'd gone through the checklist. I had done everything right, quote unquote, I'd made everybody happy. And 
I had forgotten to really take care of myself. You know, I had emotional, I was, had an emotionally induced childhood and I really learned to put on mask after mask after mask to bury and eliminate who I was and instead show up as somebody I thought would be lovable because the messaging I received was like, I'm not lovable. Therefore let's become somebody else. And there was that wake up point, as I said, in my early thirties where I was like, Oh my God, this has to change. So that wake up point, it's like, a bell you can't unring. I knew the changes that I needed to make in my life. I knew the conversations with people that were very, very difficult that I needed to have. And from there, I felt like this phoenix rising. But the secret of being a phoenix rising is that sometimes if you want to rise from the ashes, you have to set yourself on fire. And that's what it felt like, that I completely pressed a detonate, uh, detonate button on my life, blew it up, left my perfect marriage, in which I was incredibly lonely and I just didn't know how to talk about that. Um, and, you know, tried to do all the things that you're supposed to do in a relationship and it, it wasn't working. And it was like, then I can't stay in this relationship anymore. Right. And I went from being, you know, a stay at home mom of three to totally reinventing a completely different career for myself. And yeah, there's so much more to the story. <laughs> yeah. That'll be round two of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, important question that I feel like a lot of people going through divorce or just breaking up in general always ask, how do I do it? Do you feel like you had that moment or was it literally just, I'm going to do it? I think that, you know, I say in the book and I will say ad nauseum that when people tell me like, oh, their marriage just fell apart, I actually laugh because no marriage falls apart. Like marriages slow burn until the entire building is on fire and everybody is screaming to get out alive. Like that's, that's what divorce looks like. Okay. And so I think when you're starting to have those conversations with yourself or with Google or with Amazon that look like, hmm, should I stay or should I go? Like, how do I know when you're Googling, like, how do I know it's time to get a divorce? Mm -hmm. That's time to start having some like real deal conversations about what you want out of your life what your values are and does this person align with your values? Does this person share your vision or do you even share that partner's vision? Like, yeah. can we do this together? We have some weird antiquated notion of marriage. I really believe in marriage, but we see this as mega failure. No, staying in a relationship in which your needs aren't being met. That's the failure staying in a relationship because with somebody that you don't love, but you know, you depend on them financially that's a failure. That's not, that's not success in my books. Did you see that? How you said it, it doesn't just all of a sudden stop happening and that's a slow burn. Did you see that while it was happening or did you look back and realize that's what was going on? Oh no, it's, it's such a painful realization, but you feel it as it's happening. Yeah. And in hindsight, I can look back and see almost specific dates where I knew and I ignored it. I knew and I ignored it for, uh, for longer than I'm comfortable admitting. But yeah. Then we you all have those it. moments, right? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you're not ready until you're ready, right? But at a certain point, you're ready and you're afraid versus mm -hmm. like, I'm just too afraid to do it. There's a jumping point where it's like, this is going to be hard. You don't know what's going to happen. But if you know it's the right decision for you in anything in life, right? Like if you know it's the right decision for you, you have a responsibility to yourself to act accordingly, I think. Was there a moment that really stuck out for you? something that happened where you said, okay, this is enough. Like I have to end this there. 
I don't think there was, uh, I'm trying to think now of what that one breaking point moment was. I don't think so. I think it was an internal realization. Like when I had that conversation, but like, this can't be enough for you because you were not enough for you. I already knew the things we had tried to like, quote unquote, make it work. And I knew that wasn't working. And I had this epiphany that it was like, oh my gosh, I know how to save the marriage. Either he has to radically transform his personality or I have to radically transform mine. And it was like, well, right. then I guess I've got to go death on this. Like this right. isn't, this isn't working. Yeah. And anyway, so, you know, marriage ends. I start over through a very long series of events. I end up be, like I had already been kind of coaching women in business. I was running a social media marketing agency okay. before anybody else was doing that. Right. And we were like running people's Instagram accounts, but they would turn to my business partner and be like, all right, so let's talk about branding and sales strategy. And then they would turn to me and be like, okay, I got to tell you, I don't know if I can do this. Like I, my mom told me I wasn't creative. My husband thinks this is just a hobby and I'm really afraid of actually doing this. So I'd kind of already started. The same feelings. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then, you know, this many years later, now that's a really viable and thriving coaching practice that I've you know, I have now further education behind me to offer coaching so much life experience. And also in between there, there was a cancer thing. (laughs) I just hate to say Yeah. How long in between did that happen? Mm -hmm. When did the, well, I wanted to to go into, you know, right when you ended divorce, how did you feel? But I don't know the timing. So like, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been about five years, and it's been a crazy five years, like a crazy five years. So, at about the two year mark, two years post divorce, um, I got this cancer diagnosis. So just as I was really feeling like, okay, we're moving on. I bought a house by myself. Like I renovated this house. Things were going so beautifully, and um, starting to really get a like a client following and an Instagram following, and like I was really starting to establish myself what I thought was like a leader in this space. And um, I was 36. It was actually just before I came to LA. I was coming to a conference in LA and I was walking around. I loved my breasts. So I was holding them and basically feeling myself up. <laughs> I like just body awareness. And um, as we all do, as we all do, like I still do it now. And I'm yeah. not there, but I was just holding my breasts and I was like, oh my God there was a lump there and there had not been a lump there the day before. And so that kick started this chain of events that ultimately did lead to a breast cancer diagnosis. And, you know, I was really, really lucky in the sense that the cancer hadn't spread anywhere, which is a miracle in and of itself. Um, but the treatment for this cancer, because there was no family history because I'm so young, because it was so aggressive and was growing so quickly, the treatment was, four months of aggressive chemo, which is total hair loss and a double mastectomy. So I like in going through cancer that opened up this new world of healing. So I'd already changed my mindset and my perspective. And it felt like cancer was this, you know, air quote opportunity to test me, to be like, okay, cool. You've totally shifted into gratitude and intention setting and mindfulness. And you're really clear who you are. Now let's just make sure you really believe it. And it was the experience of cancer. It was like a Trojan horse. It next leveled everything. It like made me face my darkest shadows, which allowed me to bring so much light. It allowed me to make the experience so purposeful and beautiful 
that it really became uniquely my own. And I started to look back in my life and be like, I've used this same process with everything in my life and handling all the childhood stuff, the divorce stuff, more cancer. And I was like, okay, I think this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to do right now. And I think that's something amazing in itself too. When you're faced with something that just seems so detrimental, you, you want to make the best out of that. Like if I'm going to be handed this thing, I'm going to get all the gems out of it that I possibly can yeah. then just feel like as if it made me th the victim. Yeah. I wanted to jump back really quick too, when you mentioned tests. So I know I have a couple of friends that went through the same thing and I know how important it is to make sure that you're getting checked. I actually am scheduled for a mammogram myself, yeah. but I feel like a lot of people don't talk about the actual lump. Oh yeah. Like where it was, what it felt like, you know, we have just these lumps already in our breasts. So yeah. can you tell us like what your experience was, what it yeah. felt like? And that's such a good question that like, this was unmistakable, you know, again, when you, I, I'm very spiritual and every negative again, like quote unquote negative thing that I go through right. makes me more spiritual and it like deepens my faith. Same. So yeah. I can just say like, Oh, you just know, because I, I definitely just knew, okay. but, um, I honestly, it was like kind of the southwest quadrant of my left nipple. <laughs> <Okay. Okay. laughs> and it felt, it felt kind of like rubbery. It felt like if a, a green pea was rubbery, it was right there. But overwhelmingly, I felt that. And then I felt the color drain out of my body is how it felt. Like I just had that instant knowing of, oh my God. And you then, were out, you said, out that? in public, right? When you felt this. Well, yeah, because I was, I was, I'd rented a cabin just before I got on the plane to go to LA. There was like a couple days in between, but I was at the cabin just walking around. I was doing a photo shoot and like playing guitar and reading and just walking around the cabin. And I, I honestly, I just happened upon this lump and it was unmistakable. And from that moment until the time I could get to the doctor's office, I kind of Put myself in denial about it. Um, and then I did actually, I had a couple of misdiagnoses for a couple of months. And when I showed up at my surgeon's office, then that was when I really got the diagnosis a few months later. But to answer your question directly, I would honestly say, I think you just know. Like I felt it and I was like, I absolutely know what this means. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> moving yes. on from that, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. you know, it's, it's great, like you said too, that you kept checking because I hear about misdiagnosis happening, yeah. knowing that you just know, you don't take no for an answer. I didn't want to take no for an answer. I was like, perfect. Oh, close one. I like bullet dodge. But you know, when I went for my follow-up appointment, he was like, wow, there are actually two lumps and they've grown significantly. And then when we booked the surgery. Same side. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And when we, when I actually did the surgery, my incredible surgeon was like, no, there were three, like there was a third one underneath. And that's why we did this radical treatment of like, so I was 37, I guess, when I got the proper diagnosis and um, we hit it with aggressive chemo, like the Mac daddy of chemo. And I removed both breasts because I wanted to be so certain that this was done, like never coming back done. So you, I mean, I can only imagine the experience going through that, finding out about the diagnosis, but it sounds like you were consciously putting yourself in this positive mindset 
because you just came out of a divorce (laughs) (laughs) that it's like I went through this thing I'm not gonna now let something else knock me down how did that kind of you know challenge you even more because I was so mad I was so mad and I'd been having such great momentum I really felt I was like again single mom of three right I had been a stay-at-home mom I had now built this business and I was like really working to keep growing that and figure out the learning curve of what that meant and to run my life by myself. I felt like I was hitting my stride and I got this diagnosis and I was so angry because I was like, are you kidding me? This just isn't fair. And to add, you know, like a little flair for the dramatic here, (laughs) I got my breast cancer diagnosis the same day that my ex-husband got remarried. (laughs) And it was like, no, are you like, whose life is this? This is not fair. It's not fair. And so in the early days of diagnosis, you have to go through a battery of tests. There are so many tests and there are so many appointments and being single. My family is incredibly supportive, but all my aunts and uncles live like four hours away. So sometimes my friends would come to an appointment with me, but sometimes I was too stubborn and I'd be like, no, 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 I'm just going to do this by myself. And I remember coming home from one of those appointments and I hadn't picked up my kids from school yet. I was just lying on my living room floor. Again, this is like such a theme, right? Like I lie on my living room floor and what do you know? God shows up again. <laughs> it's like a bad movie plot. I am like rage screaming. I'm like, is this a podcast we're allowed to swear on? Go for it. Do what you have to do. <laughs> I'm a writer. I like to add the, I really add. Uh, anyway, so I'm lying on the floor and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how the fuck am I going to do this? And this little voice pops up once again and says, you are going to make this beautiful. And I just shivered and I was like, excuse me? And I heard it again, unmistakably. You are going to make this beautiful. And that was a moment where I actually felt something shift inside of me. I was Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, I know how to do this, actually. I know from everything that I've learned through healing from my own childhood and healing through my own divorce, I know I actually don't have to listen to anybody else. I don't have to live up to the expectations of what cancer means for anybody else other than for me. I I get to choose the kind of experience I have. And literally every single touch point regarding cancer became beautiful. So things like, you know, carrying my papers to appointments, I've got a beautiful folder. My kids helped me pick out this beautiful medical bag to house all my chemo medications. Chemo medications have terrifying names, but you have to take them. Otherwise you get violently ill. And so my kids and I made this like chart of they would label the medicine with a unicorn sticker, for example. So instead of being like, okay, at 8.30 on Tuesday morning, I have to take two beta hefa mexa, blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, oh, 8.30 <laughs> Tuesday? Give me two unicorns. Like, <laughs> it was amazing. Right, and yeah. It shifted my energy so much. So suddenly I went to chemo and I was, I was so much nicer as a person because I was like, no, I'm going to trust that people are here to support me and they're here yeah. to move so smoothly. And when I shifted all that mindset, like it was just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. People went out of their way to make things smooth for me. I decided in that moment that I was like, okay, I'm going to make this very purposeful because I'm a higher mm-hmm. teacher. So the fact that I was going to sit in a chemo chair for five hours a week for four months was insane. Like, so 
I'm going to write a book proposal because I've been complaining that I don't have enough time to write a book. So I sat in my chemo chair and I wrote like 80% of my book. Wow. That's what the proposal is. But my nurses knew that I was writing and they knew that to help my own anxiety level that I liked this one particular chair. So they, I would show up to my appointments and they had my chair saved oh, for me. Yeah. It was the best light. There were rainbows coming in through the window and it was like, this is amazing. Like this yeah. whole experience is amazing. My family was supportive. Yeah. And so in that going through that process, I realized again that in every aspect of my life through all the real, like the genuine adversity, I had done the same process of taking something really dark and uncomfortable and heavy and consciously transforming that experience to become light, golden, and uniquely my own. And my favorite book is by Paulo Coelho. It's called The Alchemist. And I thought in that moment, I was like, oh shit, this is like emotional alchemy. And that has been like adopted as, as my brand of coaching that like we will transform all of the things and make this beautiful and uniquely your own. You have to share it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think in the book, I break it down into, I can actually picture it in my head. The intro to this section of the book is like the 10 easy steps to emotional alchemy. Like, <laughs> right. I don't know about you, but my pet peeve in like the women's empowerment space is like three easy steps. To, and I'm like, there's nothing easy about this. Mm-mm. There's nothing easy about this. Mm-mm. It's like relentless work. Right. Really honest about that. Like, right you know, people don't want to buy it. I guess they don't want to buy it, but here's the reality. This is the work and it's not easy. It's not overnight. It takes time and practice and and money to invest in yourself to do it. Right. I I mean, when it's marketed as easy, then that just kind of, it takes the relatability away from it. You know, we know it's not easy. So if I see something that says, Oh, it's this easy. Then why have I been struggling so hard? Just that <laughs> well, because then it's your fault that you've been struggling, and right. I can do a different program. That is like it's like oh my god, it has, right. to, stop. It has to stop. Yes. So okay, so you're you're in this seat in the hospital writing oh your god. book, rainbows, butterflies, amazing <laughs> lighting. <laughs> Was that a culmination of all these experiences that initially or essentially motivated you to then write your book? How did how did it come about? Well, as I was healing from my own childhood past and trauma, I Mm -hmm. knew that I wanted to write a book and it, I, you know, kind of half jokingly say it took me four years to write the book, but three of those years were convincing myself that I was a person who could write a book because, Mm. you know, where I was coming from internally and emotionally, I had, like my self-worth was decimated and I had like zero self-love. And so I, I had to reparent myself and get to this place where I'm at, where I feel completely at home within the person. Right? right. So I knew I'd wanted to write this book, but I, and I was like wrapping my head around what that would look like. And then I was like, if I write a book, it's going to come out as like a tell all book about my childhood. And that doesn't feel right. And, and it was mm-hmm. going through cancer that suddenly it was like, Oh, now I've really got something to say. So the book is, you know, it's absolutely informed by my life experience, but it's equal parts memoir, self-help, and this feeling like you're cozied up on the couch with a trusted friend because of the style in which it's written. So it's broken down into three parts. You know, one opens with an essay about my childhood. One opens with an essay about my divorce. One opens with an essay about my cancer experience. Then the rest of those sections are these beautiful analogies with actionable tools 
to make this change in your life. So I outline like the 10 steps of emotional alchemy, including things like forgiveness, adopting a gratitude mindset. That's like within forgiveness, there are lots of steps too, right? But I, I'm so practical and grounded that I was starving for information of like, okay, I need to, I need to love myself. Tell me how I do that. Like, how do I do I need to forgive my parents. Okay. But how? And so I think when my superpowers is able to, is being able to totally break this down into these bite-sized pieces of like, Oh, you want to forgive? Okay. Here's specifically what you have to do and what that looks like. And so that's why I think the book is such a gem because it's like, it's a user's manual. It's like a manifesto on how to love yourself and kind of really come home to who you are. That's awesome. How would you say, I can tell in just talking to you, we both have this perspective of, you know, finding the the inner happiness. You're saying you you have this moment of like, you can do this. And I think back to when you said the day you got your diagnosis is the day that your (laughs) ex-husband was getting married, which to me, you know, you can look at it as I'm getting handed all this crap but at the same time, okay, he's getting remarried. And this is the moment you find out just how strong you really are. <laughs> do you, how do you feel like your book, Emotional Alchemy, how, how doing that work and reading those things will help people to find that inner happiness, not always searching outside. Cause at that point, it sounds like you were dealt with so many bad hands and you still had that inner happiness. That's the secret is that like, and I'm obsessed with this notion that we're constantly sold this bill of goods that tells us, right. you know, like, oh, you want to be happy? Drink this soda and magically <laughs> 25 amazing like football players are going to show up in your yard and that <laughs> will be happy. Like, yes, I would actually be- This soda's happy. bringing the football players to the yard <laughs> right now. <laughs> in fact, I could write and these guys show up. Like, why have I not been bringing this right now? <laughs> And every movie we watch, every show we watch, every song we listen to, it points us to looking for validation from Mm -hmm. someone else or something else. And my experience, and it sounds like your experience too, have been that constant. It's it's the human experience ultimately, but we just get to it at different times. We have to look inward. We have to remove ourselves from like, oh my gosh, when I find this partner, then I'll be happy. When I have a hundred thousand bucks just sitting in my bank account, then I will be happy. When I'm driving this Mercedes truck, then I will be happy. Oh, you will be happy when you choose to cultivate happiness. That's it. That's it. You know, I work with so many people who they come to me because they've gone through the checklist of like, okay, but I've got the Mercedes truck, I've got the husband, I've got the house, like I've got the vacation. Why do I feel like crap? It's like, you have to go inside and you have to feel at home and loving and peaceful within yourself mm-hmm. and it radiates outward yeah because you're you know you keep chasing something you're never going to get something's always, there's always one shoe's always going to drop yeah always something happening yeah it's like the ha- the pursuit of happiness versus the happiness of pursuit yeah so how do you feel i know now you said you've been all these clients that you have and they're checking off these these lists how do you feel that your personal experience now helps you to help other people? I guess I like can't do this. Fast. I can almost answer this question for you, but I want to hear your answer anyway. Because I am so disenfranchised with the female empowerment business. And right. I'm so disenfranchised by so many other coaches. I actually hate the word coach because it sounds so cringy, but <laughs> I don't like life mentor sounds even worse. So I like don't yeah. even position myself. I am, and I, I stand in this truth. 
I'm 100% me. I am the real deal. And right. as I have come to my own success personally and professionally, my circle has gotten smaller because when you get to that level within yourself, there aren't a lot of people around you. It's, you know, and I've watched the things that I've navigated and the degree to which I've navigated them as a single parent within a very short period of time. And it's like, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I have personally, I have really high EQ, like emotional intelligence, which was always really negative growing up. And now I'm like, oh my God, I totally understand emotions and how to feel yeah. in a way a lot of people don't. It's like the savant quality of like understanding how right. you feel your feelings. And I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. I feel like it makes me almost feel weaker if I have to hold that in. I don't mind Absolutely. letting all those emotions out, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, in conversation for me, if somebody's like, oh, I can't believe, I don't know. I can't believe she said that to me or I can't believe he did that. Can you believe that? I'm like, yes, because this is obviously triggering your fear of rejection. You can't have that as a normal human conversation every day, right? <laughs> but in my coaching practice, and all of a sudden we can be like, okay, let's examine that. Why do you feel it? What are you actually feeling? What is the story you're telling yourself around that feeling? And my work is so satisfying and it's so fulfilling because I, I work with people in such a, I'm such a nerd. And it's like, we get to get so granular about their feelings. We start tracing these vines back to their emotional root and being like, oh my God, that's exactly what it is. And we heal it we learn the lesson, we let it go, and we shift into this new mindset. And it's like, holy shit, we did it. We just created inner peace. And to me, as I said, like my whole jam on this planet is to change the global conversation of emo um, on emotional health and self-love. And I'm living it. Like I get to live my dream. And it's a dream that is of great service and great value to so many others. When I work with a client who then kind of gets this permission to be herself and do what feels really good and just show up in a genuine and authentic way, not like trademarked, like authenticity TM, but actual authenticity, how she shows up in her business and her relationship and her parenting, that changes. And so suddenly now you've got like these other ripple effects of goodness coming forth just by having the courage to be who you are. And it's me as like the facilitator of that. It's just so satisfying. Whew, I need a moment there to take that in. That was great. <laughs> this, these are the gems that I was talking about. <laughs> so you touched on mental health. And I know that you mentioned a few times about child abuse that you dealt with. I also think about the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and just all the anxiety that's coming up. Yeah. Um, you can touch on both or pick one if you want to. But how do you how do you relate? in that way because I, I think of everyone at home right now and you know we can say we're at home and we're just watching tv and we're stuck inside and then I think of those children or you know those those partners that are in these abusive situations how can they use those tools that you have to keep them in some some type of happy space just centering themselves while they're going through those things well and really really simply that even in this the face of this like extreme unknown you know we can maybe see a couple weeks down the road and that's as far as we can get everything is unknown so much of our daily lives looks different the news is like burning fires as far as the eye can see like there's so much unknown and there's so much fear the only thing you can really do is control your inner environment so that means like how do you regulate your own emotions by choice 
How do you choose to respond and react? Well, maybe you choose to respond and react by turning off the news, by not engaging in those conversations that are bringing you so much anxiety. You know, like maybe if um, domestic violence or if there's another, you know, hunger, if there are like, if there are causes, like actionable causes that are really precious to you, maybe you divert your, what can I do to really, what can you do? You know, there, I live in a small town, but there's a little market near me and they pivoted their business to be completely online during the pandemic. And they started these donation boxes that anything anywhere in the world, you can like buy a box of groceries for a family in the community and they'll deliver it. And it's like, oh my God, for $17.50, I can feed a family. So those kids, although I can't get into their house and like hold them and, and protect them and make this okay, I can make sure they have like pasta and salad. And that's, a, that, that's okay. That's an okay thing to do, right? Like that social change on a very, very grassroots level that we are each capable of doing. So when you start to shift into like, what can I actually do? How can I affect change in my immediate world? world? I think that's really powerful. I also think that when we're facing so much fear and anxiety that all comes from the unknown, we're putting ourselves in a physiological state of fear, which means our bodies are like in fight, flight, or freeze mode for our own subconscious survival. Mm-hmm. And when we start to really sit with our emotions and tap back into our grounded selves, like, wait, what is the story I'm telling myself here? Is that story true? What kinds of things, what kind of action can I take to counteract this? That naturally centers you back into yourself so you can use critical thinking. When you're afraid, you can't use critical thinking. Your brain is not rational. When you pause and come back to center and really get this grounded level again, that's when you can use critical thinking and be like, okay, hang on a second and start evaluating like what's actually happening around, you know? Yeah. And I think- Go ahead. Uh, I think that's important. I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you brought up the two points that are, you know, clutch for me because I suffer from anxiety sometimes. Yeah. And there's two things that I've heard during this quarantine that have really helped me. And when it first started for one, you know, in this space, digital creation that you're supposed mm-hmm. to be on social mm-hmm. media, I just felt like I was taking in so much and I just, yeah deleted the app I you know I, I temporarily deactivated it and I was off for two months and it was it brought me back to the, like the best place I could possibly be during this time mm-hmm. but like you said coming back and centering yourself and the thing is that I heard um don't think about the future when you're getting anxious you're, you're worrying about what's going to happen in the future yeah. and worry that we have although we can't get rid of it is the most useless emotion that we have we're yeah. worrying is not going to really change anything. Yeah. If you're nervous or you're slacking somewhere, you can be more aware of your surroundings, you know, be more protective, be more cautious, but worrying is not going to help. That was one. And then um, Cara Lowenthal, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name correctly from, she has the um, Unfuck Your Brain podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard her talking to a client saying, you know, the client was saying how her child having a fit in the backyard she said, what did you do when he was having the fit? And she, she said, I let him have his fit. I told him it'll be okay, but I let him have his fit. And she said, imagine if you started going along with him, he's freaking out because he he's five years old. 
this is yeah. the worst thing ever. He, he needed to come in from playing outside. It's the worst thing ever. She said, imagine if you sat down screaming with him. Yes, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. You let him go through it. So she said, when she has anxiety, do the same thing. You know, you're dealing with it and yeah. you can't get around it, but let yourself have that moment. Keep yeah. yourself calm and you go through it then around it. And, and that's emotional health right there, yeah. that we have this, we've, this pattern that we have learned over a number of years and probably generations that if you're having a negative feeling, whoo, whatever you do, get rid of it. No, yeah. you know, if we feel afraid, no, you're fine. We feel sad. No, it's going to be fine. Just buck up. Come on, let's go out. Right. Mm-hmm. No, right. have a drink, ignore I, it. Do whatever. Oh yeah. Want. I'm really passionate. Like, have a drink, have another drink you know, have sex with this guy, just whatever it takes, go to Amazon, start shopping. <laughs> right. On my book while you're there, just saying, you're going to fill the void anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, like we have this void to fill because we're not feeling our, our full emotions. And when you have the courage to be like, oh my God, I am terrified right now. It's really uncomfortable to feel that. But the alternative is I feel fear and then I feel shame about feeling fear. And now I've got to release shame and fear in a way that makes me think that I hope nobody notices because I'm also worried about pleasing other people. It's like, no, feel the fear, examine it, sit in it, unpack it, let yourself feel it. And then you start to be like, now again, what is the story I'm telling myself in this fear? Or where am I feeling this fear in my body? How can I start right. to lesson? What can I let go? Is the story I'm telling myself true? Or is it just fear speaking, you know? sadness, loneliness, rejection. There are all these really negative emotions, but our feelings are just feedback and they give us such valuable insights as to what still needs to be healed. So when we ignore them or repress them or push them away, we're ignoring our own healing. If we can shift instead and use them as this teachable moment, this opportunity of like, oh, wow, that's a very painful feeling of rejection I'm feeling right now. Like, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Chances are you're going to be led to that place that is screaming out for your attention. You can give it that attention and then you can move through it in a healthy way. Yeah. So I know that we have you for an hour, but your little girls have you all the time. <laughs> So what is that like being, you know, obviously being Lise Wilcox, you're dropping this book and everything, but being able to share those gifts and raise your girls with that mentality at the same time. It's amazing. Like I have amazing kids and I love that they're all girls because it just feels like this redo. There's like cosmic redo, right? Um, So many of our patterns keep repeating generationally. And I am a person in my family who's been, I guess, sent here to break the patterns. Like it's crazy when you over, I think it's called epigenetics. You can basically lay two people's family trees over the top and they're, they're almost identical. Like we keep attracting the same person over and over again. So I feel like with my little girls, we have this like system reset opportunity and they're amazing. Um, I have been single for about five years and that has, that has been a huge pain point because like my biggest trigger and vulnerability is the fear of being unlovable. And even though I've done the work, it's still like when you have a scar on your arm, you don't really notice it until there's a flame nearby and you're like, Ooh, that's tender. You know, like we have, I have this emotional scar tissue. About so I'm very aware of that. So being single for five years has, has been a challenge emotionally. And very recently I started to look back and I was like, Oh my God, five years of being single, being able to focus on who I am, being able to build a business. Oh my God, be able to spend this time just with my kids is a gift 
we have this incredible closeness, this incredible bond. There's so much joy. Yes, we bicker, of course, like we are humans. There's so much joy and there's such a strong connection that it's like, thank God I've been single for five years because I would have missed this, you know? And we've been through so much. Um, almost 10 and then my twins are almost eight. So we ate 10. And, you know, we've been through so much that that has also brought us so much closer. And we just, we have this happy and peaceful little life. And I listen, we're, I doubt you have seen this, but maybe you've seen Trolls or Trolls 2, the world tour. I have not, but I'm very intrigued on what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Trolls 2 is about like all these different trolls across the troll universe. And they each play a different kind of music. And in this movie, one band of trolls is trying to make their kind of music supreme. Like it's supposed to be superior to every other kind of music. And one group of the pop trolls end up uniting everybody, air quotes, to like harmonize their music because we all have a voice. So we're watching as my 10 year old daughter is like, mommy, I think they're talking about racism. And I was like, Yep, like an emphatic head nod over here. I'm like, 100%. And she's like, the problem is the pop trolls still convinced everybody to use their kind of music. They just made like other kinds of music more poppy, just like white people. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. At 10 years old. That's Lisa's daughter. (laughs) It's it's in her already. (laughs) We're watching these like, you know, Home Alone, right? We're watching classic Christmas movies. From the, the 90s were so misogynistic and we're watching these movies and you know my seven-year-old twins will, or one of them will be like wow that was misogynistic and I'm like who are you this is and there's there's no pain about it there's a statement of fact it's like that was a really misogynist thing to say and I'm like clapping over here how do I book the girls for the next podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> that is what we need to do we need a family yes. special <laughs> okay so <laughs> On that note, um, jumping back to, so maybe they can hire you or your girls, but for those that are out there listening that are not in a emotional or like maybe financial place where they can reach out and get your help right now, what tools do you think that they should be proactively using in the moment to help themselves? Something that they can trigger right now that most people aren't doing. Uh, I would say it's it sounds so cheesy and some people are really uncomfortable with it because you kind of feel like you're going crazy, but talking to yourself in the mirror um, when you, you okay. know, you have that available to you at any time, we lose sight that the one relationship we are guaranteed to have from our moment of birth mm-hmm. to our moment of death is the one we have with ourselves. And yet it's the, the relationship we invest in the least and we pay attention to the least. And so by the simple act of just going to the mirror and saying things like, I love you. I am so proud of you. I know today was a tough day or I know you're struggling or I know you feel embarrassed or ashamed of that, but I got to tell you, there's literally nothing you could do that make, could make me stop loving you. Like when you start to speak to yourself, like you would speak to a child or your sister or your best friend, it changes you and anybody can do that. And I was going to say like kind of flippantly, like on my website, I have courses that are so easy. They're so affordable. The book is so affordable. There's so much information in it. We're like in this moment, like you're walking down the street, like go look at yourself in the, in the reflection of a window and be like, there's a person there. There's a person of substance and value 
an incredible rarity. And when you take the time to get to know that person, you will just, you'll be absolutely shocked to discover how deep that relationship can go. You just have to get through the weirdness of speaking to yourself in a mirror or a window and get to the other side of like, oh my God, I am a wonderful person that I feel lucky to spend time with. And that's, that's a unique gift you can give yourself of really just loving who you are and accepting who you are. It's like, so I'm hearing, you know, it's, we, we know these small bits and then you're just taking it, you're thinking of it one step further than we all are, you know? That's a specialty. <laughs> yeah. So like, I know, you know, as I said, like we're, we're our own biggest critics and we, you know, if you look in the mirror and tell yourself, oh, you, you're gaining weight or you don't look so great. You're not, you slept in late. All these things that we say to ourselves, we would never dare say to someone Ever. else. Ever. And, but then we need to take a step further and think, okay, how are we talking to other people mm-hmm. and not, you know, and editing that when it comes to how we speak to ourselves, then bring it back, talk yeah. to ourselves in that same way. We notice we're doing it, but then we don't take action on reversing it. Exactly. And, you know, I told you, I, I warned you, like I am a super nerd. And so when I look at this, I look at this very like bird's eye zoomed out view, but we are here to have a human experience. We are these like soulful beings wrapped in a human experience. There's no end point until you're dead. Like this is just, it's just a process of discovery and of experience. So when we, and sometimes it's easy to appreciate, sometimes it's really hard, but when you can slow it down and be like, okay, I am just a human having an experience. You can start to entertain these new ways of being and thinking because now there aren't really any rules that apply to you, right? Like the rules are, yes, we're going to show up with kindness and with service and with mindfulness and grace. But other than that, you can kind of create your own path, even if that path is full of obstacles. You're like, I didn't want that obstacle there. It's like, okay, how are you going to use that obstacle and embody it as a part of your experience? It's like, it's such a process. There's such an art and a science to, you know, living that this is how we do it. We just kind of test something out and we test something else out. And we really have to be in constant conversation with what this feels like in order to heal through it. Just, just taking it all in <laughs> and, and listening to the voice at the same time. So <laughs> Pardon me while I go talk to myself in the mirror for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Picks up phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to know, because I know I have a few of my own, what mantras do you live by? What are things that you always tell yourself that you think are staples in your life? I have a lot of them. Um, And sometimes now they're just so embedded for me. In times of great stress, I still use, there's a a quote from Rumi. And again, very honestly, like the, the single thing has been a big trigger. So often I will say to myself, what you seek is seeking you. And when you really start to vibrate with that frequency of like, no, whatever it is you're looking for, it's looking for you back. The right clients, the right opportunities, the right person, the right tacos, whatever it is, like what you are looking for, it's also looking for you. And that creates this partnership, not this like one way street of I have to do this. It's like, no, I'm a part of something that is also looking for me. So that's a a big guiding principle for me in times of stress and anxiety. I love it. So I have a game I want to play with you. Yay. Are you up for games? I'm super up for We're just going to sit here and eat tacos for the yeah. rest of the <laughs> You are in the place to do it, by the way. <laughs> so, oh, yes, I am. I am. 
Um, so do you remember I asked you who your favorite musical artist is? Yes. And you told me it was John Mayer. So, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> so this game is called Lyrical Assassin. Okay. I have chosen 10 different song lyrics. Oh my God. <laughs> you have 20 seconds mm -hmm. to match those song lyrics with the correct song. Okay. So you will take your headphones, plug them into your phone or computer just so that we can't hear the music. Okay. You have to get at least five correct. Oh my God. Okay. And if you do not, you will choose your favorite John Mayer song and you will uh -huh. sing the first verse in the chorus. And of course, because you have your headphones in, this will be a nice acapella version for us <laughs> to hear. <laughs> Okay. As I mentioned before we started recording that I really, really want you to lose just because I love your voice and I really want to hear you sing. Okay. Okay. So you have 20 seconds for each one. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes so I can focus. The best part is I'm just going to be reading this. So I don't know. I'm don't... super competitive with stuff like, like I'm not a competitive person unless it's stuff that doesn't really matter. So here I am. I'm in this. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> okay. I'm going to try to make sure I don't read it in that melody because I don't obviously don't want to help, but <clears throat> first one. How come the only way to know how high you get me is to see how far I fall? Oh my God. How come the only way? I can't, I can hear the song and I can't think of what it's called. <laughs> Heartbreak Warfare. Oh, she got it. <laughs> she got it. Okay, number two. I was the one you always dreamed of. You were the one I tried to draw. I think it's from the Continuum album. I can't picture that one. Passing on that one? Yeah. Slow dancing in a burning room. Ah, damn. <laughs> right album, though. Right album. Yes, right album. <laughs> number three. And all the bad boys are standing in the shadows and the good girls are home with broken hearts. I don't know that one. Free Fallen. Ah. <laughs> Number four. Oh, you see that skin? It's the same skin she's been standing in. Oh my God. I can hear this one too and I can't remember what it's called. I think it's off the first album. I don't know. I have to pass. It's Daughters. Ah, damn it. <laughs> I'm terrible at this game. Usually I'd be rooting for you to win, but in this case, I'm not. <laughs> Next one is, you know my paper heart, the one I fill with pencil marks. Yes. You know my paper heart, the one I fill with pencil marks. I think I might have gone and let you in. What the hell is it called? I don't know the names of any of these songs. I recognize the words. I don't know. I don't know. A face to call home. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you have to get the rest of them right. We have. Oh my God. This is so hard. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Take all your big plans and break them. This uh, is Body of the Wonderland. Oh, she got it. <laughs> she got it. All right. Number seven. <clears throat> Fold a scarf, Moroccan red, and tie your hair behind Paper doll. your head. <laughs> Got it. Written about Taylor Swift. <sighs> I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> Number eight. 
Think we'll never fall into the jealous game. The streets will flood with blood of those who felt the same. I think it's from Battle Studies and I can't remember what song it is. I don't know. That one is Friends, Lovers, or Nothing. <laughs> so you already have to sing. You want to just try the rest for kicks? Sure. <laughs> we have two more. Okay, what are they? I could have met you in a sandbox. Mm -hmm. I could have passed you on the sidewalk. It's from the first album. I don't, I don't know what it's called. What is it called? The album? No, the first, it's room oh. for, off of room for squares. But mm -hmm. what is the song called? Love song for no one. <sighs> and the last one is something about the way your hair falls in your face. I love the shape you take when crawling towards the pillowcase. Body's a wonderland. You got it. So close, but yeah, not close enough. <laughs> not close enough. Oh my God. Okay. So now what do I do? You can choose whatever song you want okay. from John Mayer. Okay. And you will just sing us the first verse and the chorus. Obviously keep the music down and we'll just okay. sit here and uh, enjoy. Okay. What am I going <laughs> to sing for you here? Oh, I know what I'm going to sing. I'm guessing body is a wonderland but i don't know <laughs> now i'm gonna just this will be a game for me to figure out what the song is okay so i am just gonna press play but turn my music down and i'm gonna basically serenade you right yes serenade okay. keyword yes okay i'm gonna turn it down now wow this is so intimidating here we go <laughs> can you hear that i cannot okay it's just in the intro i can hear it a little bit okay can you still hear my voice though? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> it's a Friday. We finally made it. I can't believe I get to see your face. You've been working. I've been waiting to pick you up and take you from this place. Love on the weekend. Love on the weekend. Like only we can, like only we can, love on the weekend, love on the weekend. And I'm loving every minute of it. All right, my dear, how'd we do? Woo! <laughs> Obviously, that's love on the weekend. I guess that's obviously. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I want to remind the audience not to forget to go get Lisa's book available on <laughs> To Call yes. Myself Beloved, a story of hope healing and coming home you can also find her on instagram at least wilcox and make sure you visit her website leasewilcox.com for courses and coaching it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today i want to ask you one more question that i like to you ask bet. all of my guests mm -hmm. it's called another round oh nice so you said you were 36 when you got divorced right yes uh 36 when i got cancer 34 when i got divorced 34 okay yeah. so Let's say 34 before all the big things happen, yeah, right? Yeah. So two Lisas walk into a bar. One is 34 and one is you today. Uh -huh. And you both order up a glass of whiskey and lemon. Uh -huh. And 34-year-old Lisa is just really not in a good place. What advice are you giving her? First of all, this is the most beautiful exercise I've ever heard. <laughs> Second, you. I would look at her and I would just say, you alone are enough. You have no idea what's coming and I promise you are strong enough to get through all of it 
and I will be with you every step of the way.